Welcome to Kitchener Public Library's Chapter One podcast, a series to inspire, inform, and entertain, featuring the unique and diverse voices of the Waterloo region. In this episode, our speakers will address the topic of sexual assault and abuse. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, I'm Elizabeth Heald, President and CEO of the Kitchener-Waterloo Community Foundation. My guest once again is Sarah Castleman, Executive Director of the Sexual Assault Support Center of Waterloo Region, or SASC for short. In our first two podcasts, we explored the cultural shift we've experienced and how more survivors of sexual violence are reaching out for support than ever before. We also talked about the unique and critical role that community-based sexual assault support centers play in supporting survivors through their healing journey. Today we're going to discuss prevention and upstream solutions, an important component of SASC's work. While conversations about sexual violence can be hard, they can also be uplifting. Waterloo Region is known for innovation, most often in the tech, business and education sectors. But today we're going to talk about how the spirit of innovation is also alive and well in our not-for-profit sector in Waterloo Region. Welcome back, Sarah. Thanks so much, Elizabeth. I'm happy to be here again, this time talking about my favourite topic, prevention and social change. One of the things I value most about SASC is that we value downstream and upstream approaches to addressing sexual violence. Now that lingo, downstream and upstream, isn't familiar to everyone, so I'd like to share a parable to set the stage for our discussion today. A young child was calling for help in a river. Someone nearby quickly dove in the water and rescued the child. Before anyone could celebrate, another child came floating down the river, and then another and another, each one calling for help. Soon the entire community had jumped in to join the rescue effort, and before long, everyone was utterly exhausted trying to rescue the children one by one. Finally, a wise person stopped and asked, just where are these children coming from? We have to travel upstream and find out how children are ending up in the water. So faced with an incredible issue, this community's response and responsibility was to simultaneously rescue those that were drowning and address the source of the problem. Folks tend to think of charitable work as downstream work, such as providing something, a service or resources to people in need. And at our centre, it's really important and rewarding work. But the key to sustaining passion in our sector is the belief that a better future for individuals and society is possible. Sexual violence is not inevitable. It's created by social conditions that can change. Like the wise person in the parable, we need to go upstream and address the root causes of sexual violence and all forms of gendered violence so that lasting social change can be achieved. So true. They say an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. It's important that we recognize that. Providing support to survivors is critical, but if we're not prepared to also invest time and energies upstream and address the root causes of sexual violence, like the parable says, we'll always be pulling people from the river. So let's talk about root causes. How do you and your team at SASC doing public education even start to address such a large systemic issue as sexual violence? You hit the nail on the head when you describe sexual violence as systemic. There are a lot of factors that contribute to sexual violence, the biggest one being gender inequality. Although it's still oddly contested by some, sexual violence is absolutely a gendered issue. Sexual assault is a crime of power and of control, not of passion. 
While anyone, regardless of gender, can be a target of sexual violence, the data confirms that almost 90% of sexual assaults are committed against women and girls, overwhelmingly by boys and men. For a long time, prevention work focused primarily on young women, and often still does. I can't tell you how many times over the years we've got calls in the office from reporters looking for tips on how young women can keep themselves safe during prom season, or at the bars, or during frosh week. Those kinds of questions suggest that women are responsible for preventing sexual violence. That kind of messaging also contributes to victim blaming after an assault. At SASC, we've become experts at rephrasing these questions. The better question is, how can we raise young men to treat women with fairness, equality, and respect? From what I understand, it's that reframing that first inspired SASC to create a male allies program engaging boys and men with their unique ability and responsibility in ending gender-based violence. The program has garnered a lot of community support in recent years and has been influential across the province. I know you have public education programming for all genders, but let's delve into your Male Allies program specifically because it's the innovation we referenced earlier. It was also somewhat controversial when it rolled out. To understand the controversy, you have to look at history. Sexual assault support centers and women's shelters exist because of the women's movement specifically the second wave of feminism from the 1960s and 70s. That was a time in our history when people really started to understand that violence against women was a key indicator of prevailing social attitudes about women. So in other words, places where women have increased equity and access, socially, politically, economically, culturally, have much less violence against women. Feminists fought hard for the gains we made in the 20th century. Securing dedicated support for women who'd experienced violence was no small feat. Because of this, over the years, our sector struggled with how to engage men meaningfully in our work. At the same time, we can't create lasting social change without including men. There are a lot of kind, progressive men in our community who care deeply about this work, and they have an important role to play as allies. And that term ally is key. An ally is someone who's learned to recognize injustice and inequity when they see it. They use their privilege and their platforms to address injustice and to amplify the voices of those impacted by it. They don't try and take over. Instead, they lift up the group being oppressed. So with that in mind, 12 years ago, our center drafted the initial proposal for what's now known as our Male Allies Program, the very first of its kind. The program was controversial, not so much in the community at large, but in our sector itself, because there were justifiable concerns about compromising the space women had created for survivors of male violence. With all this in mind, we were very thoughtful about how we set up our Male Allies program. Judah Udshorn was one of the very first men in that program. He's now a professor locally, writer, artist, and father. So I care a tremendous amount about the work of addressing and ending male violence. I actually grew up in a home that was fairly violent, um, ruled by my dad. Um, the lens of patriarchy would be appropriate to understand how he uh, shaped all of our lives at our house. Um, it was 
a home where there was a mixture of also love and care. Unfortunately for me, that didn't translate into how we were treated in the home, uh, how our emotions were stifled, how our passions were stifled, how we were sort of second-class citizens within our, our own home, often wondering when violence would erupt or even whether or not uh, we would be allowed to stay in the home. Um, and so there's those kind of things that were coming up as I was growing up. So I care obviously in a deeply personal way about these issues. From my perspective, looking back on it now, I have a feeling of sadness as an adult, just recognizing that it didn't have to be that way. So Sask has been a really significant part of my life. I am a survivor of family violence, of child abuse, and even as a young adult, it took me time to kind of figure out what that meant that I had grown up in that kind of home. And even the way I viewed myself, I looked at myself more as a, as a victim. And one of the really important learnings for me that Sask helped me develop and understand is that I have a significant amount of responsibility as a man living in a community where patriarchy still dominates, where male violence is still a problem. I mean, really, I think this is a man's problem when we look at who's perpetrating violence, sexual abuse, domestic violence, family violence. It's mostly male-identified people who are perpetrating that kind of violence. And so Sask really taught me that I have a responsibility. And it's not like Sask was minimizing or denying the fact that as a man, I also experienced that kind of violence. I think what they did was help me mature and help me understand that that there's more to me as a human being and in fact I can play a significant role uh, in terms of helping to end male violence as well too. So I think in some ways it was kind of my introduction to understanding a little bit better about what it means to, to have an intersectional understanding of issues in our society. It's so interesting to hear Judah talk about his own experience of victimization. His childhood experiences had a profound impact on him, but he also came to understand that he had a role to play in ending male violence. That's an important point, Elizabeth. Our center supports survivors of all genders. We believe that interpersonal violence has a profound impact on individuals, families, and communities. Every survivor, regardless of gender, deserves to be wrapped in community care after disclosing. When we look at violence with a gendered lens, it helps us better understand the challenges experienced by male survivors. The vast majority of male survivors experience childhood sexual abuse, and they often have some unique struggles. Society still sees being a real man, tough, sexually aggressive, unshakable, as incompatible with being a victim. Male survivors don't always have the emotional support they need, and many of us struggled with addictions or anger issues. And because so many boys experience sexual abuse at the hands of a man, male survivors often have complicated feelings about their own sexuality. Sexual abuse impacts so much of a young person's development. I strongly believe that we can and should hold space for male survivors and ensure they have the support they need, while also acknowledging there is a systemic issue of violence against women and girls. I had been able to survive what I experienced a lot because I have a lot of luxury and a lot of privilege in society. I've been able to access good employment. I've been able to access help whenever I've asked for it or reached out for it. Nobody's ever doubted or challenged my story. And so that time in the Male Allies program helped me kind of pause and think about, wait a second, no wonder my life journey has been different because at the same time I was also working with men who were incarcerated and I was meeting a lot of racialized men, meeting a lot of indigenous men and their stories from childhood sounded a lot like mine and I was starting to question why am I not 
behind bars and why am I out in the community living uh, a good life and so again I think Sask played a really important role in terms of helping me understand the privilege that I had and with privilege comes responsibility and so again I say all of that because they've been a really important part of my growth. We've all heard it said privilege is when you don't think something is a problem because it's not a problem to you personally. It's easy for folks who've lived relatively privileged lives to remain oblivious to these larger systemic issues that Judah is so passionate about. Sexual violence is often framed as a women's issue, but as we've discussed, it's also a men's issue. Men and boys have a responsibility to speak out and be active in ending violence against women and girls. Yet we rarely talk to men about what they can do to change the sexual violence that's endemic in our culture. When men speak out as allies against gender inequity and violence against women, it has a unique and powerful impact on the boys and men that hear their message. Without men who are committed to societal change, violence against women will persist in our community and around the world. Sarah, let's talk a little bit more about exactly what your Male Allies program offers to our community. Twelve years ago, I remember working with our team to draft the initial proposal for what the program could be. So it's exciting for me to talk about how it's grown. Our Male Allies program works with male-identified folks who want to be part of creating positive social change. We offer a variety of programming and workshops for all ages across Waterloo Region. Our program sparks meaningful conversations personally relevant to men and boys' lives and empowers them to engage in challenging conversation with other men and boys. The program talks about healthy masculinity, healthy relationships, consent, and how to respond when someone discloses, and how to be an ally in the fight for gender equality. About 300 times a year, we're in classrooms, lecture halls, residence halls, after-school programs, and speaking to community groups. We're especially proud of the Male Allies curriculum that we developed for the Ontario Hockey League. It's called OHL Onside. It's delivered annually to all OHL players across the province through Ontario's network of community-based sexual assault support centers. Our Male Allies program also has a corporate program. We work with local businesses to create gender equity in workplaces, especially in spheres that have traditionally been male-dominated. Our corporate program's called Raise the Bar, and its ultimate goal is to prevent workplace sexual harassment. So sometimes we work directly with boys, and other times we work with men who are in positions to influence others. The bottom line is, we believe that men can be agents of change. One of the things that the Male Allies program taught me is that we need to do a better job of raising boys in our community. And so there's a really important role that men like myself can play in terms of being a role model. We can demonstrate kindness, we can demonstrate gentleness, we can demonstrate compassion, we can demonstrate empathy, rather than the toxic version of masculinity that we often see in our communities, which is more about domination and about power and about money and about all of these things that we think create a good life for men, but they actually undermine really our whole selves. I kind of think back to my my dad and he had a lot of the strappings of of that toxic masculinity where he had a good position in terms of employment in society he had the things that he wanted in terms of his home and so from a toxic max- masculinity perspective he was winning <laughs> at life but when we look sort of deeper at a relational level there's a lot of ways that he was missing out and so i think for me 
when we role model to young boys, we can actually teach them a little bit more about what it means to lead a good life, a fulfilling life, a satisfying life, a life without violence, but a life with kindness. So that's one layer for me, is about educating and working with young minds. But I think it actually goes to a much deeper level than that. So often in our society, masculinity is defined very narrowly as being dominant and aggressive and in charge. That kind of masculinity limits men's ability to fully express themselves and to experience a diversity of emotions. Ultimately, it's damaging to men, women, and anyone who falls outside the traditional gender binary. And I would actually say if we're silent, we're contributing to violence because we're allowing that violence and oppression to carry on. And so we have to be accountable as men to change these structures, to push for those policy changes, to push for those legal changes, to become better role models ourselves, to be self-reflective, to start into a learning journey of learning what uh, female and racialized folks are telling us about what we need to do to make change. Uh, so we have a significant responsibility as men. The other thing too, when I look around in my community of where I see male leaders, I see people like teachers, I see people like coaches, I see people like um, those working, some working in the not-for-profit not sector. And I, I think that what I'm looking for from men in those areas, is, especially as coaches and teachers, is I'm looking for men who role model kindness, who role model respect, who role model taking responsibility when they make mistakes. As I shared earlier, to truly address sexual violence, we need a multi-pronged approach. It's a systemic issue requiring a systemic solution. We need to ensure supports are there for survivors when they reach out, but we also need those upstream solutions. Sexual violence doesn't happen in a vacuum, devoid of social context. It's created by social conditions that can change over time. The Me Too movement is proof of the kind of cultural shift that can happen. To prevent sexual violence, we need to address the root causes of gendered violence. We need to have conversations about power and control and consent and healthy relationships and healthy masculinity and how to be an ally and how to intervene and interrupt sexual violence and sexism. And as I shared emphatically before, we need to understand that the level of sexual violence that exists in any community, in any nation, is directly related to the prevailing social attitudes about women. To truly address sexual violence, we have to strive for gender equality, politically, socially, economically, and culturally. Thank you, Sarah. I am so proud to live in a community that's been on the forefront of creating change. The Male Allies Program, first developed here in Waterloo Region by the Sexual Assault Support Centre, has inspired a number of other communities in Ontario to develop similar programming. In our first two podcasts, we explored the cultural shift we've experienced and how more survivors of sexual violence are reaching out for supports than ever before. We also talked about the unique and critical role that community-based sexual assault support centers play in supporting survivors through their healing journey. In today's podcast, we explored prevention and upstream solutions, an equally important component of SASC's work. The Me Too movement was a watershed moment in the advancement of gender equality. It's encouraging that more survivors of all genders are coming forward, but the next step is ensuring we as a community are investing in survivors' healing. We often tell survivors of sexual assault that they are not alone. We need to stand together to make certain we are saying this with confidence. Survivors languishing on wait lists is not okay. 
The idea that there is no money to either end violence or support those impacted by it should be challenged. There is money when something is a priority for an individual, a community, a province, or a nation. There is so much to be done and so much that you as an individual can do. Become a monthly donor. Talk to our politicians. Work to amplify the voice of your community-based sexual assault support centre or establish an endowment fund with the Kitchener-Waterloo Community Foundation in support of survivors. This is Elizabeth Heald from the Kitchener-Waterloo Community Foundation speaking today with Sarah Castleman of the Sexual Assault Support Centre of Waterloo Region. We are brought to you by the Kitchener Public Library Chapter 1 Podcast Initiative. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to Chapter 1, the podcast series of the Kitchener Public Library. Join us next time for the unique and diverse voices of the Waterloo Region.